Did you enjoy that time of worship and song? Isn't it amazing that God bends his ear to hear us sing to him? You know, as, as distracted as we can be, as uh, otherwise focused as we can be, and yet, you know, when we sing, what a beautiful name it is, lift our hearts to Jesus. He is blessed, and he is honored, and he invites us to get to be a part of that. So I just, you know, I'm still a little bit uh, emotionally reeling from my time of worship this morning, so... Bear with me. Why don't we start with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into God's word. God, we just want to say that you are good. It's not even enough to say that you are good, for God, you are good beyond our wildest imagination. We could never even imagine anyone greater than you. We are so thankful, God, that somehow in your grace and your kindness and mercy toward us, that you would bend your ear to hear us praise you, and you would be honored by that praise. And now, God, we're asking you to speak to us. Speak to us from your word. I pray that the thoughts of man and ideas of people would be pushed aside so that your truth would shine forth and that we would see you in the midst of the scriptures and that you would open our hearts and minds so that not only would we learn, but we would be transformed, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. What are you doing here? No, seriously, like, like, what are you doing here? I don't mean what are you doing here in this room or what are you doing here in TV land. I mean, I mean, obviously, I know what you're doing here. You came because you heard there was a remarkably handsome preacher. I understand that. But, but what I mean is, what are you doing here on this planet? Why are you here? God created us to have a relationship with him, right? He created us to have a relationship with him, but once you have that relationship, here's my human thinking, once you have that relationship, doesn't it seem like God should just like suck you up into heaven at that point? Because everything about your relationship with God will be better in heaven, is that not true? Everything. You say, well, I'm in relationship with God to worship him. Do you think the worship is even better in heaven than it was here this morning? Yeah, I think so. Do you, do you think, you say, well, I'm, I'm you know, in, I'm, I'm in relationship with God so that I can understand him. Do you think you'll understand him better when you're in heaven? I feel like everything that we're supposed to be about, worship, intimacy with God, even just uh, selflessness, focus? Do you think your focus on God will be a little bit better when you're in heaven? I think it will be. And yet, for, for some reason, God says, I'm going to lead you into a saving relationship with me. Some of you met Jesus when you were so small, you don't even remember a time that you didn't love him. Some of you uh, probably have come to know the Lord in the last several years, and you probably just go, oh man, all those wasted years. And maybe some of us are still going, you know what, I'm still investigating this thing. I'm not even sure there's any truth behind all this Jesus stuff. I don't even, I can't honestly say that I even know him. Wherever you are in that um, continuum, the truth of the matter is that 
that it's going to be better for you in heaven if you know Jesus than it is here. And yet, he left you here. (laughs) Thanks, God. So why doesn't God just rapture us up at the moment of our salvation? Why are we here? Let's think about it another way. I I took a trip last month, uh, a road trip. My brother and I got in a car, drove across the country. We drove through the center of the Midwest. Um, We we drove through Colorado and uh, Nebraska and Iowa and Illinois and all of the, you know. And do you want to know what we saw? Corn! Oh my goodness, I had no idea so much corn existed in the world. Just as far as you could see in every direction, there's a road and some cars, and then in every direction, just corn. Corn, 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 corn. I've never seen so much corn. And I thought, my gosh, how much corn is there? How how much corn are we growing? Because, you know, I'm weird. I looked this stuff up. (laughs) Last year... American farmers harvested 96 million acres of corn. Now, I know what you're thinking. I have no idea what an acre is. (laughs) I don't either. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, what does that convert to? 69 million football fields. That's what that means. That is a lot of stinking corn. That is a lot of land, right? That is a lot of planting. There's an enormous amount of water. That is an enormous amount of hard work. That's an enormous amount of expensive farm equipment. Why? Why do they do all that corn? Why do they plant all that stuff? What is their motive? What are they hoping to get out of all of that work? Corn! (laughs) Right? You plant because you expect a harvest. And so they had this idea, look, we want some corn. You know what we better do? We better get the fields ready. We better put some corn in the ground. We better water. We better cultivate. We better uh, harvest. We better do all these kind of things because we want to bear fruit. We want some corn. When you plant that stuff, when you water, when you do all the work that it takes, I talk like I have some idea what kind of work it takes. I have no idea. All I know is you got to take the husk off and eat it. That much I know. (laughs) Why do you do all of that? You do it because you expect a harvest. You expect it to bear fruit. So we've been doing this survey in the book of Acts, and uh, we've been talking about what to expect as we walk on this journey with Jesus. And uh, the first week we looked at this, we said, you know what, we better expect opposition. And I'm not going to re-preach all of this kind of stuff. You can go back and and go online and see it there. But, But the truth of the matter is, Jesus told us over and over again, if you come after me, there's going to be opposition. So so parents, let's not be surprised. The scripture says we're to train up our children in the way they should go. Let's not be surprised when our society and our culture is trying to lead our children away from the way they should go. We should expect opposition, right? We're, We're trying to maintain a certain level of 
purity and godliness and focus on good things, do not be surprised when our world system is designed in such a way that we are constantly having stuff flashing in front of our eyes that is shiny and impressive that will draw us away from God. We are going to deal with opposition. We better expect it. And I think one of the things that gets us in trouble as Christians is that we get blindsided like, wow, I'm so surprised anything was difficult about being a Christian. The scripture says it's going to be difficult. We should expect opposition. We should expect misunderstanding. We should expect that there's going to be some people who scratch their heads when they watch the decisions we make. People who don't have the exact same values that we have as Christ followers. People, therefore, don't have the same goals that we have. Therefore, they don't make the same decisions that we make as Christ followers. And if you're going to be a Christ follower, there's going to be some people who just think you're weird. Because you're going to be weird by definition compared to the world. You know, the scripture says we are not of this world. We're aliens and strangers. And so, yeah, we're gonna be different and we should expect that misunderstanding. And last week we said, you know what else you should expect? You should expect the unexpected. Because we, we sort of have this idea that, oh, I know how life should go. And how many of you would say, your life has gone the way you knew it should go? No. That doesn't happen very much, does it? We need to expect the unexpected. God is so much bigger than us. He's doing things so much greater than we understand. So we should not be surprised. Remember the Jews in Jesus' day, when Jesus came and the Jewish Messiah finally arrived, they had an expectation he was gonna overthrow Rome. And so they freaked out when he died on a cross. They had no expectation of that. They thought that the Messiah was about running out the Gentiles and returning power and authority to the Jews. And then, God, and then the Holy Spirit sends Peter to a Roman soldier's house to lead him and his buddies to Christ so that Jesus is now a part of the Roman army. They did not expect that. The book of Acts is full of stuff that nobody would have expected. So if you're going to walk with God, expect the unexpected. There's our recap. Now, let's get back to our original question. What are you doing here? Why are you still on this earth when things would be so much better in heaven? The answer, we're here to bear fruit. If you're a Christian, and by that I mean if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, I don't mean if your parents are Christian, I don't mean if you grew up in the church, I don't mean if you got baptized when you were eight or anything like that, I mean if you are personally walking with Jesus, if he is the Lord of your life, if the Holy Spirit reigns in your heart, if you are a Christian, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you should absolutely expect your life to bear heavenly fruit. And as we survey the, books of, the book of Acts, you can't help but notice that that is the pattern. The activity of the Holy Spirit in and through those original disciples resulted in a ton of spiritual fruit, right? We could go back through the whole thing, but let's just recap a little bit. Remember Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit gets poured out upon the church. Amazing things happen. The coming of the Holy Spirit, the word of God is preached in light of that. And after the word of God is preached, thousands are added to the church. 3,000 people 
people added to the church that day alone. And then Acts chapter three and four, they go out and, and there's a sick guy who gets healed and the healing brings honor and focus and glory back to God and they give praise to the name of Jesus. They preach and explain the gospel and more people come to know Christ. It says the number came to be about 5,000 that day. In a couple of days, the, the church has gone from 120 to 5,000. They get arrested, they get out, they preach some more, more people get saved. They get arrested, they get out, they preach some more, more people get healed, more people grow in Christ, the church is getting established, and it's by chapter seven, Stephen is being stoned to death, and the persecution comes, and what does that do? It drives um, spirit-filled believers out into other areas, and now the gospel is going into other areas. It's spreading like a wildfire, nobody can stop it. There's all this amazing fruit, and it's not just that people are changing their religious title. It's not just that somebody's going, well, you know, I was an Episcopalian and now I'm a Baptist. It's that people are literally having an encounter with the, the one and only living God. He's saving them from their sin. He is filling them with the Holy Spirit and their lives are being transformed so that you don't even recognize what they, were, what they are compared to what they were last week. Their lives are being transformed and you can't argue it and you can't ignore it and therefore their neighbors are going, wow, what happened to you? And they're telling them and then it's happening to their neighbors and it's spreading and it's spreading. That's what we see all throughout the book of Acts. And these are people who become fully devoted followers of Jesus. I'm not just talking about converts. I'm talking about people who are followers of Christ. Remember, the Great Commission It's not to go and make converts of all nations. It is to go and make what? Disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus, someone who is becoming more and more like Jesus, someone to whom Jesus is Lord and who is following his commands. And so as we continue through the book of Acts, we see that this this pattern is being repeated. People are getting healed. People are getting ministered to. People are getting fed. People are getting taught. People are getting saved. People are getting baptized. They're getting trained. They're getting commissioned. Churches are getting planted. Gentiles are being swept into the kingdom. The gospel is crossing boundaries in terms of geography. That doesn't matter what city you're in, what state you're in, what nation you're in. The gospel is spreading across those boundaries. It's it's crossing boundaries of culture. And it doesn't matter the differences between you and me and the way we think and the way we're raised because Jesus transcends all of that and it's, it's um, breaking the boundaries of language. God is not held up by language. Whenever there's a situation in the book of Acts where there's people who don't speak the same language, the gospel needs to get shared. He either causes someone to hear in a different language or speak in a different language. Language is not a problem for God. And so it crosses those barriers. It crosses the barrier of race and churches are now becoming these integrated places that nobody has ever seen in that part of the world before. And you you have a place like Antioch where the church leaders are of several different races and national backgrounds. It's, it's astonishing. That's the sort of thing that we take for granted and we go, you know, that we've seen that before. But they had never seen anything like that before. And the church is becoming a world-changing force for good throughout the book of Acts. And by the way, all of this is happening without church buildings, without 
theological seminaries and Bible colleges without uh, any sort of Sunday school curriculum, without a printing press, without the internet, without television, without radio, without a professional clergy, or any of the other things that we find indispensable in the church today. It's an amazing story. Listen to how Luke sums it up. Take your Bibles and go to the book of Acts. And, and if, you're, if you're not familiar with it, uh, the book of Acts is in your New Testament toward the back of your Bible. And uh, it comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you get to Acts. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, we get this sort of summary statement that Luke gives us about all that's been happening. Here's what he says, 931. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. I find it fascinating that he says, by the way, the church enjoyed peace. Because we think peace is an absence of conflict. We think peace is an absence of persecution, an absence of war. He just finished telling us about the stoning of Stephen and how the entire church is now being spread because they're running for their lives. And yet it says they enjoyed peace. Peace must be something deeper than that. Peace must be something that happens on the inside when you're in a right relationship with God. And they enjoyed peace and the church is being built up and it's going on in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and it continues to increase. Whatever else you might say about the early church, you have to say this, they bore fruit for Jesus. But let's take an honest look in the mirror for a second. One of the great values of the scripture is that it becomes a mirror, right? Too many people think that the Bible is a magnifying glass through which I examine you. The Bible is a mirror through which God reveals me. That's the idea, right? So as the word of God speaks to us, let's take a look in the mirror for a second. I wonder, honestly now, and you just think about this, you don't need to respond, but I really want to ask you to think about this. I wonder how many of us really expect our own lives to bear this kind of fruit. I wonder if we really expect it. That that we would say, I would expect that in my life, God is gonna use me to change other people's lives. That as I leave my house today, God is gonna gonna lead me into a situation where I'm gonna be the light in a dark place and that darkness is going to be chased away because of the light of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us expect that today as I walk with God, I'm gonna be instrumental in somebody who's sick getting healed, somebody who's depressed getting encouraged, somebody who's lost getting found. I wonder how many of us really think that our lives are gonna bear this kind of fruit, and we expect it, or do we expect that God's doing whatever he's doing while I'm doing my thing, and then I'll go visit him on Sunday? I wonder what we expect. Most of us, I'm afraid, don't really think of ourselves as missionaries. 
I mean, just think about it in your day-to-day life. Do you, does it ever cross your mind, I'm a missionary? Do, or, or even think of ourselves as ministers. And, and by the way, I'm talking about ourselves, not yourselves. This is an us thing. I think this is a challenge that we all face. We tend, if we're honest, we probably don't use this term, but if we're really honest with ourselves and the word of God is a mirror that reflects who we are, then we would have to admit that we, we see ourselves more as Christian consumers than as missionaries or ministers or part of the movement. We're looking, for example, for a church that will deliver the goods, whatever that is, on our list. We are, we're looking for a preacher that will tickle our ears, keep us entertained, and give us something good every Sunday. We're looking uh, for top-notch Christian music so we can listen to it and enjoy it. We're, we're looking for a program for our kids. We're looking for a beautiful church building. We're looking for a youth group that everybody wants to go to. We're looking for someone to meet our needs, and that's the way we tend to approach life. And by the way, that's not all bad. I mean, being a part of a local church should be meeting those kind of needs in our lives. I'm just saying that we're so used to the consumer mentality of being a part of the church that we often lose sight of the fact that God has a plan to bear fruit through us. And I guess I should probably just pause and get outside my notes for a minute. This is why I go too long every week, by the way. But I, I guess I should probably pause outside my notes for a second and, and sort of give a little caveat because I don't know all of you. I don't know what's going on in your lives. I don't know where you're at. I don't know who's watching online or who's just connecting with this message. Um, so let me just say this. Um, th- today's message is really intended for Christians, right? So if, if you're if you're just looking into the God question or you're trying to figure out, is there anything here for me in this whole Christianity thing and what is Jesus about and what does Jesus have to offer? Uh, I'm hoping you'll pick up something in this, but if, if you could just excuse us for a second, this is God um, talking to his church right now. And there's some things we need to hear. And I'm not saying any of this to guilt trip you. My, my purpose today is not to slap anybody on the wrist. I don't want you to leave here going, I'm such a failure. But let's get back to our real purpose. Loving God, loving people, changing the world. I'm trying to paint a picture for you of the fact that there is much more to the Christian life than most of us have come to expect. Our expectations are way too low. Walking with Jesus, it's meant to be invigorating. It is meant to be exciting. It is meant to be a reason to get out of bed every morning. It is meant to be challenging. It is meant to be life-changing. It is meant to be an incredible adventure. So if those are not words that describe your current personal relationship with Jesus, then today's message is designed not to slap you on the wrist, but to encourage you because there's more out there and some of us are missing it. If you're gonna walk with Jesus, you should expect opposition. You should expect misunderstanding. You should expect the unexpected. And by God's power, you should expect to bear fruit 
eternal fruit, spiritual fruit, lasting fruit, measurable fruit, noticeable fruit, life-changing fruit. But just what can we do to make sure we're bearing that kind of fruit? I am so glad you asked. Go to John chapter 15. So if you're in Acts, just turn left. You'll be in the book of John. Go to John chapter 15. It's one book to the left of Acts. And, I, and we're just going to have time for uh, 11 verses. We're going to look at these 11 verses together. John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus speaking here, and here's what he says. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, notice this verse, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. Jesus is not saying this to us because he wants us all to go out of here with our tail between our legs going, what a loser I am. I'm not doing a good job of bearing fruit. He's saying to you, listen, you were designed to live a life that bears fruit. And so I'm gonna tell you how that works so that your joy can be full. This is for your benefit, he says. Now, before we tear this passage apart, let's do this. Let's admit that 99% of us don't know anything about grapevines. We got this great metaphor, and we're like, yeah, I don't know anything about grapevines. You might know the wine section of your grocery store. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) But do you know anything about grapevines? Most of us don't know anything about vineyards, grapevines, how all that stuff's done. The Bible does this to us all the time, by the way, doesn't it? uses farming illustrations because, you know, we're all farmers. And it, 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 it talks about the Jewish feasts. But most of us are not Jewish. And to us, a feast is when you get animal fries with your double-double. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was personal. I said that out loud. Um, it constantly talks about sheep. But I don't know anything about raising sheep. Most of us are city slickers. We don't herd sheep. If I said, hey, you know, I really noticed, I feel like you're trying to hit a home run in life and you're trying so hard to hit a home run that you're striking out. You don't need me to explain that to you because you get a baseball metaphor. If I said to you, you know, the Bible has more answers than Wikipedia. 
You don't need me to explain that to you because you live in the age of the internet, right? I mean, some of you are old and you're like, Wicca what? I don't know, but <laughs> ask somebody who's young. But the original audience that Jesus is speaking to, they lived in an agrarian society. They knew about sheep and farming and all of this kind of stuff. And so those are the illustrations that he uses, which by the way, boy, am I off on a tangent, which by the way, is why we as preachers try to take the word of God and then illustrate it into language that makes sense in our society so we can understand those illustrations. So these are the God-given illustrations, but we need them explained to us because you probably have never had the responsibility of tending a grapevine. So let's tear this passage apart about grapes and vines and see if we can understand what he's trying to say. Okay, Jesus is the vine, good, you're with me, and we are the branches, right? I'm, I'm, just forgive me if you already understand all this stuff, but, but a grapevine grows up out of the ground and, and the vine itself is something like a small tree trunk and it grows out of the ground and then the branches spread out and in a vineyard they put up wires or some sort of contraption so that they will hold up the branches and then, and then the, this is so weird, and then the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the grapes grow on that, right? And the grapes grow on the branches. Now, let me ask you, so, so okay, where do the grapes grow? On the branches. Do they grow on the vine near the ground? Do they grow in the trunk? No, they grow in the branches. The branches hold the grapes. Do the branches produce the grapes? No. The vine produces the grapes, and the branches bear the fruit. Some of us, we've heard this sort of Christianese statement about bearing fruit, and we think it means produce fruit. God's not asking you to produce fruit. God is asking you to bear the fruit that God produces. So how are we gonna do that? If the branch does uh, not bear the fruit, if the branch bears the fruit and doesn't produce the fruit, um, then how do we do that? It's not your job to produce fruit. Look at verse five. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Apart from him, we can do what? So, so how much fruit are you gonna be able to produce in your life if you do it apart from him? None. None, right? We have to get this right. It is like this weight that gets dumped on us when we're like, oh, you know what? There should be more fruit in your life. And we're like, yes, I've gotta figure out how to make fruit happen. You don't have to make fruit happen. You just have to bear the fruit that God produces through you. And then the question is, okay, if that's what I have to do, how do I do that? He says you do it by abiding in the vine. If you stay attached to the vine in a healthy way, you will bear fruit. And that's why I say, if you're gonna walk with God, you should expect to bear fruit. 
And when we think about the Great Commission, some of us think about verses we've got to memorize and share with people, or strangers we have to talk to on the airplane, or, or theological ideas that we have to understand well enough to explain to people who have sincere questions. But that's not what Jesus is saying is the key to fruitful Christian living. He says it all starts with abiding in Him, and only when we're abiding in Him can we expect to bear fruit. Go down to verse 16. We're still in John 15. Listen to how Jesus sums this up. He, he's, remember, he's talking as the vine to the branches. He says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. That's a whole 12-week series. We're gonna pass that for now. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. See, we see that. You know how many people I've heard quote, whatever you ask in the Father's name will be given? Is that the point of the verse? What you can get? The point is that God wants to bear fruit through you. So if your life's not bearing fruit, if your life doesn't seem to be lighting up the darkness, then the problem may not be that the world is so dark which is what so many of us religious types love to think the problem is. That the world is so dark. Perhaps the problem is not that the world is so dark. Perhaps the problem is that too many of us are disconnected from the source of the light. And we wonder why there's no fruit being born. <laughs> I grew up uh, on a used car lot. My dad uh, was in the car business and we owned used car lots and I grew up on a used car lot and by the time I was five, I could wash a car with the best of them because that's what you do in the family business. And, and uh, I remember being a teenager um, and I was working as a salesman uh, selling cars in my dad's lot and we just got in this new really cool, I remember it, it was a 1970 yellow Camaro. It was, it was sweet, and it was fast, and we advertised it because it was a really cool car. We parked it on the front line, and that first day after we had it, the, the next day, the, the ad broke, and people started coming in, and these three guys came in, and they, they couldn't wait to drive this hot Camaro. And, I, and, and I'm like telling them how fast it is and how many horsepower it has and how the girls are gonna love you in this car and all that kind of stuff. And I get in the car, and I go, listen to how this baby... Click, click, click. <laughs> oh, get out, open the hood. Someone stole the battery overnight. It's a lot of horsepower and no source of power. Some of us have been living like that. And we go, how come I'm not getting anywhere? If you get everything else right but you ignore Jesus... Your life's going to be an utter failure. So if I can't produce the fruit, what can I do? I can abide in the vine. And, and I, you know, I could take forever unpacking this, and maybe we'll talk about this some more, but that means prayer. It means a personal relationship with Jesus. It means worship. It means the support of the body of Christ. So easy, isn't it, guys, for us to just sort of keep our distance. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling down. I'm, I feel... Um, whatever, I think I'm gonna just stay home. God, especially in this day and age where we've been isolated so much, it's so necessary one way or another to be connected. I'm talking about 
personal confession where you talk to the Lord about what's really going on in your life and ask him to help you repent. I'm talking about Bible reading where God gets to talk to you and you don't just do all the talking, but you do some listening and learning. All those things lead to a healthy spiritual life and ultimately help you bear fruit. It's Jesus in you that encourages the depressed and the discouraged. It's Jesus in you that feeds the hungry. It's Jesus in you that clothes the naked and heals the sick. It's Jesus in you that leads people to salvation. It's Jesus in you that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit into your own life and the lives of other people. It's true that we have been invited to join Jesus on his mission to transform lives, but we can't make that happen. All we can do is abide in him. So rather than me give you a program and say, go out and take these four steps, here's what I'm gonna tell you. Get closer to Jesus. There's nothing you need more. I'm not, forget about the mission for a second. What do you need? You need a better program? You need a, a, new, a new, you know, musical song that will somehow connect you spiritually? Do you need a new Bible translation because there's only 800 million English Bible translations to choose from? Or do you need Jesus? Just to, to just get back to saying, Lord, it's you and me, and I'm following you. I'm not asking you to follow me. What's going on in your prayer life? What's going on in terms of repentance? Guys, some of us are sitting here today, probably most of us sitting here today, and, and we know of patterns in our lives that are not pleasing to God. And we're just ignoring, 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 and we're just resting on the grace of God. We're like, you know, I'm gonna get to heaven, it's gonna be okay, and when I get to heaven, I'll say sorry. Do you understand you're missing out on the fruit that he wants to have in your life because you're not letting him have access to your life as Lord? I'm talking about getting his word into your heart. I love what it says in Psalm 119. Your word have I hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Just bathing in the word of God protects you against sin. Do you slow down long enough to listen to his voice? Let me put it this way. If your life can be explained apart from the supernatural power of Jesus, then you need to get focused on abiding in the vine. Abide in the vine, my friends, for apart from him, we can do nothing. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you today aware, in some cases perhaps, convicted by your spirit that we can easily fill our lives with Christian activity and you're sort of on the sidelines watching. We, we come to you today aware that you have called us to join you in this great mission and that there's nothing we can do to carry it out apart from you. And so, God, I just want to ask you for each person here today, wherever we are, that we would not feel um, beaten up, discouraged, frustrated by the challenge you've given us today, but that instead we would be encouraged because you promised us that if we abide in you, our joy will be made full. 
God, forgive us for seeking that joy anywhere else. Help us, Lord, to find it in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, guys, let's stand. I wanna just uh, ask a blessing upon you. That was our little prayer right there of uh, asking God's help. Now we're gonna ask God to just bless and use you as you go from this place. Father, may your spirit so fill us that we encounter you, that we know the joy of your blessing, that we, that we experience the encouragement of your spirit. I pray, God, for anyone within the sound of my voice right now who might be feeling discouraged, God, lift us up. For anyone who might be feeling downtrodden and beaten down, Lord, won't you please come and bring healing. Where, where we lack hope, won't you fill us with new vision and excitement and opportunity. May you change our expectations and may we go from this place shining so brightly for you that the world cannot ignore you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Go watch a football game.